Good morning. Good to be here this morning. Let me just say, uh, it's good to see Arby and Mary Wager here this morning. What a blessing, and uh, we're good. Like, in fact, I mentioned, if I didn't mention, but I thought that I did, uh, Jerry and Carol Dunlap, you, we did last week. You were, what, your wedding anniversary was last week. How many years again? 51. Yeah, 51. Long time. Amen. What a blessing. Uh, and it's good to see Madison Little here. See, I just found out, yeah, I'm embarrassing her. Uh, don't do that, preacher. Yeah, she graduates uh, in three months with her bachelor's degree. And she did that for those of you. It seems like it was yesterday that she was up here graduating as a senior. But uh, she did that, and it's be three years, correct? And what a great thing. And uh, huh, we're glad that you got your grandmother's brains. That is so good. Yeah, that's uh, No, it's good to see you. It's good to be here this morning, and we have so much to be thankful for. Uh, Barbara Carranza is here, and I, I know we mentioned this last week, but she got run over by a cow and fractured eight ribs, six on one side, two on the other, and she's just here, and what a blessing. Um, probably under the influence of drugs. <laughs> I don't, don't know that, but... Uh, Tammy said, you know, she's really tough because uh, eight fractured ribs on the way to the hospital, she was making cracking jokes. So, amen. And then uh, Kayleen McWhorter's here, and she's getting better every day. And as we look around, it's just a reminder we have much to be thankful for. And uh, God does indeed hear our prayers. It's good to be here. Uh, let me make sure I get through all this. Um, let's see. It's Theresa Heron and Julie Shaddix. Their birthdays are either yesterday or today. That's good. They're not here, but happy birthday. The Monday, Thursday, make sure you're here. Larry, what time is the Monday, Thursday? What time? I know it. 7 o'clock. Show up early. You're going to be blessed. It'll be just absolutely wonderful. And yeah, we do that each year. Easter service is going to go like this at 830 in the old sanctuary. Mark is going to lead us in music and worship. We'll be over by 9.30. We're going to have a short, uh, it takes the kids. I need the youth group's going to help me put the eggs out and whoever volunteers. Uh, and then we'll have our little Easter egg hunt, which takes about five minutes. Uh, we'll have a little breakfast brunch set up next door. We'll eat and have a little fellowship come in at 10 o'clock and have our Easter service. So uh, we'll send that out again in an email and obviously in the bulletin. But we want you to be aware of those things. And so uh, let's see, we've got that... Uh, and then, very important this morning, I want, uh, let's see, I think David Kellenbrink, stand up, stand up, BJ, stand up, and Jeff Plot, stand up. So the biblical mandate is that uh, as a church, uh, we're to appoint uh, individuals to serve in leadership, deacon and elders, and then the role of the congregation is either to affirm or not affirm that appointment. And so uh, we have appointed David Kellenbrink uh, to serve in the area as an elder, and then Jeff Plotz and BJ as deacons. And uh, you guys can sit down now. Made you. And so uh, over the next two weeks, uh, if, if you have a concern, um, if there is, and we want to honor God, his word, his church, uh, just present that. Uh, bring, we want it in writing, obviously. Uh, if there is a concern, something that you, uh, we, we consider this of the highest esteem, the most important, one of the most important things that we can do. And, 
as we honor God in the service of his, his church. And so if there's a concern that you have, obviously uh, put that in writing, uh, deliver that to the office, and obviously we, we, we want to hear from you as we affirm these men. And we'll do that in two weeks uh, if there is no objection. So be in prayer for this church and for the leadership of this church and for the service of this church and the many ministries that we serve. Again, I do, I'm going to remind you again, and we'll get right into the message. On April 18th, we're going to have the House of Hope here again. Uh, they're going to be here on those third Sundays, and we're going to have a potluck. Frank and Carmen Janus are going to provide the uh, brisket and potato salad. Um, and then we're going to, and you'll have, we have plenty of time where we can provide beans and desserts and those kind of things. But that'll be organized and uh, looking forward to that time together as well. Okay, open your Bibles to the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John. And uh, we're going to be just briefly in chapter 20, then we're going to go to chapter 12. The Gospel of John, chapter 20 and verse 30. This is after the resurrection of Christ. And his appearance to his disciples. You can read about it in the previous verses, beginning in verse 19. Um, but at the end of his reappearance and at the end of him breathing his Holy Spirit into these men who would become those first century apostles that would take the gospel into a lost world, John makes a statement about his authorship, his motive, his, the gospel that the Holy Spirit had inspired him to write. And in verse 30, he says, many other signs, many other signs, therefore, Jesus also performed in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. He wrote all that he could. He said, there's many more, but then here it is. Let this be the foundation of this morning's lesson. But these have been written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. I'll read that again. John wrote his gospel, telling all that he could. He said, but these, what I have written, has been written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. That means the anointed king of Israel. Israel means the people who strive with God. So these things have been written that you may believe that Jesus, the name God saves, the salvation of God, God saves through the anointed king of Israel, the people that strive for God. And if that's not enough, the son of God and that believing you may have life in his name. Now go to John chapter 12. I put a handout in your bulletin and uh, it just has some stuff about the palm. Uh, this service is not about the palm. This message. But I, it is Palm Sunday. Uh, much of the religious world uh, throughout the, the world uh, really celebrates Palm Sunday. It's the beginning of what uh, many in the religious world, Catholic and Protestant, call the Holy Week. And so uh, I just put the passages in there that have to do with the, the palm. And if you want to take that home and study those things, that's not what the message is about. The message, though, has to do with what John said. He said, I've written a book, and here's why I wrote it. And so you and I 
God's people gathered together on the first day of the week, 2,000 years after this moment, this event, celebrating what most of the religious world calls the beginning of the Holy Week, Palm Sunday, there is that moment, that moment, and it is in John 12, in the 12th chapter of the Gospel of John, where so many people throughout the world today are celebrating this moment in the life of Jesus. Now, we know why John wrote this. He just told us why he wrote it. There's a lot of things that happened that he didn't write, but he wrote this so that you might believe, you might believe that Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God, came and he lived and he suffered and he died. And he was resurrected for you and I so that we could believe. And in our faith, the faith that God gives us, we would have eternal life. Okay. I'm going to begin reading in verse 1, chapter 12 of the Gospel of John. Jesus, therefore. Jesus, therefore. Now, if you read in the 11th chapter, you'll see that there was a death and a resurrection there. Lazarus. A friend of Jesus, he dies, he's dead, he's in the tomb. Been there a little while, there's a stench. Jesus gets notice. Lazarus' sister comes to him. He calls Lazarus out of the tomb. The dead became living. And let me tell you, if that was a newsworthy item, then it's certainly a newsworthy item now. It happened. Eyewitnesses to that. And then, interestingly enough, <laughs> After this event that you and I couldn't, how could you fathom that? What if, what if there were eyewitnesses to such a thing today in the world that we live in? And could you imagine, we're certainly a divided people. The globe is a divided people. This country is a divided people. We're divided along political lines, moral lines, environmental lines, you could gender lines. You know, we're a divided globe. Not just country, but divided. And so, could you imagine something with legitimacy, a verifiable legitimacy, where someone who's dead, been in the grave, and an individual would come and call that dead person out of the grave, and the, and the dead person came out of the grave with the funeral clothing still on. Pretty newsworthy, huh? Now, one of the most interesting things about that, if you read the 11th chapter, you know what the religious folks wanted to do? Uh, if you read verse 47 and forward, they just want to kill him. <laughs> Remember, John wrote these things so that you might believe that uh, in the Son of God, the Christ. And he's telling the story, and he said, something happened. Lazarus, he's dead. Jesus calls him out of the tomb, and the Bible-believing folks want to kill him. <laughs> it happened. And then you get to chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, Jesus, therefore, six days before the Passover, not going to talk to you, I hope you know about the Passover, goes all the way back to the Egyptian days. You can read about it in the book of Genesis. He came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So he's with Lazarus. 
So they made him a supper there, and Martha was serving, but Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. Dead man, now he's alive. Jesus having supper with him. Whole family's there. Mary therefore took a pound of very costly perfume of pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. What a vivid picture. Remember, John wrote this so that you might believe and believing have eternal life. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples who was intending to betray him, said, have you ever been in a setting where you were sure, you were sure somebody in that setting was intending to betray you. John wants you and I to believe that Jesus, the Christ, the anointed King of Israel, Jesus who saves, God saves, through the anointed King of Israel, the people that strive with God. And John's writing that you would believe and part of the, what he wants you to, to help you believe that God saves through the anointed king of Israel, the son of God, as a moment in his life after a dead person was raised, the religious leaders are plotting to kill him. <laughs> that in and of itself is hard to fathom. Then they're having a celebration. And this Mary, that could be a sermon in and of itself, takes this costly perfume and anoints him. They're about to have supper and then one of the guys that's been with him for, for three years is intending to betray him. You ever been there? You ever had something like that happen in your life? I can think of nothing quite like that, not certainly, but I, I have been in the presence of people. I know that I have. I'm sure you probably could recall. Where in a setting you could say, we're here. But I'm pretty sure in this setting, there are people here that wish me harm. But I'm nobody. Not only have I been in a setting where somebody probably has wished me harm, but if I'm honest, if I really want to be honest, I don't like it when preachers do this. Preachers do this sometimes. They'll talk about a scenario or a situation or a circumstance that's taking place uh, almost like they're not guilty of it or they're a little bit aloof of it. I, I don't like that. I, I, I don't recall a time, and I'm certainly not innocent, but I'm probably sure I've been in the presence of, in a place and, you know, in a setting where I was with somebody and I sure don't like that person and probably wish that person harm. So as you may have experienced it, you may also might have been that person. Let's be honest. If we're going to deal with a belief that saves us for eternity based upon the Son of God, the Christ, we, it calls for honesty. And so John is telling about this very honest moment. So Judas, this one who intended to betray him, said, why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to poor people? Man, have you ever done that? You ever been in a, 
situation where you, you know, you, something's going on and you don't necessarily, maybe your intentions aren't good and every court, every courtroom in America, something's going on right now. There's a divorce going on. There's a bankruptcy going on. There's a, you know, a fight over family inheritance. There's some terrible, ugly thing that's happening in a courtroom somewhere. And uh, you got two sides and, you know, somebody's trying to make a case here and somebody's trying to make a case here. And, you know, you see people and it, that's a pretty... You know, if I go in the courtroom scenario, but it could happen in your living room. It could happen anywhere. It could happen in an argument that you're having with your spouse. I mean, it could just happen with you. Anything where you actually come across and you say, and you're just offended. No, my heart. That could have done this, or that could have done this, or that could go. Oh, oh, boy, you really missed the mark here. You're just guilty and you're selfish. And and this is a guy. Then verse 6, now he said this not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief. You ever been that guy? You know somebody like that guy? You had a moment like that in your life? John's very clear. And if you, if you weren't quite sure about what his thievery was about, and as he had had the money box, he used to he used. To, he used that money box to pilfer what was put into it. John's doing a very good job of illustrating a very dark theme, moment. The dead man is reclining at the table. And Mary, this woman, this perfume and this betrayer. And, and so, verse 7, Jesus therefore said, leave her alone. Let her alone. In order that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. If you want clarity, say you're not sure about something. I don't care what it is. You're just not sure. Maybe you're offended about something. Maybe you're at the point in your life you think, well, that doesn't make sense to me. Well, I don't know that we're doing the right thing there. You know, I don't, maybe whatever that moment may look like in your confusion or maybe your self-righteousness or maybe your defense of something or offense of someone, here's something you can always count on. And this will help you with your belief. Jesus always gets it right and he never gets it wrong. You want some clarity in your life? Where there's maybe some confusion or offense? Just find something Jesus said. Find a circumstance that you're going through in your life and, and where you got something going on and it's emotional and you're fired up and things are all over the place and you're not quite sure what you ought to be doing or what you ought to be thinking or maybe you are sure and you're wrongly sure, just go find what Jesus says. Find a circumstance and then what Jesus, and Jesus in this setting, he says, leave her alone. Really? That's what you got three years with me? That's all you got. Three years, you're worried about some perfume and you're not, you're missing it. The thing that really is going to take place, the thing that really is important has to do with the life and the death and the burial of Jesus. You want clarity in your life? You want to figure something out? Paul would say, I presume to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. 
You want to clear up the division in your marriage? You want to clear up the problem you're facing? You want to make a career decision? You, want to, you need healing in your family? You're struggling with something? You're getting older? Do you, you're dealing with a parent that's de- now in a debilitative state? Whatever it is, you're surrounded by enemies. Go find what Jesus has to say in that moment. And really, ultimately, he's going to say, uh, there's something you really need to be focusing on. And the thing that's really important, and it's going to take you out of your circumstances and put you into the place that God wants you to be, that you need to be focused on the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, it'll cure everything. It's the cure-all. Really? Oh, I'm having this problem. Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Oh, like a, oh, man, he was born and he lived and he walked and he performed many miracles and wonders and signs and authority. And he was betrayed and people plotted to kill him. And his closest associates were a thief that pilfered the very money that people gave benevolently. And, and in, in, in that very self-righteous setting, the arrogance of that man who could judge a, a moment in a life. And Jesus said, leave her alone. Something's about to happen. And it has to do with my burial. And name to me one thing that will be more significant to you on the day of judgment than the burial of Jesus Christ. It won't be your bank account. It won't be who you were married to. It will not be the level of education you have. It won't be the obituary that details, well, this person was here and this person did this and that did this. And they won this and they accomplished this. And then they died. And none of the stuff, if it's a medal of honor, if it's a degree, if it's a, a business you built, if it's a wonderful legacy of a family, it will, none of that will matter. The only thing that will matter, the point of clarity in the life of every person, no matter where you're at, what's going on, what's wrong with you, what's right with you, the only thing that will matter is the burial of Jesus Christ. The death. And the burial. Now, can you weigh stuff? Can you start to give value to something? I think it was CJ was sitting back because they were celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary. And I'd ask her, well, tell me what is 50? You know what she said? It went fast. It went fast. I did a funeral in San Antonio Saturday. I've known this person. Uh, She's 55. I've known her since she was in the third grade. She died early. We had the pictures of her and the family and friends and everybody. It went fast. It went fast. Three years ago, Maddie was uh, graduating from high school. She's going to have a bachelor's degree. And the older you get, the more it went fast. And if this thing is really happening fast and it's a vapor, maybe you and I should be focusing on the day of his burial. Something happened. Every moment in history hinged upon the burial of the Son of God. Everything. Your very life, the breath that you breathe, 
hinges upon the burial of Jesus and what that represents. So, the great multitude, therefore, the Jews learned that he was there. <laughs> and they came, not for Jesus' sake only, but they might also see Lazarus, <laughs> whom he raised from the dead. They all like a circus. We like circus stuff, you know, the spectacular. And Hollywood makes a living off of selling us uh, lies and diversions and the spectacular that very rarely happens and is made up in the dark mind of somebody who's considered brilliant. There's a lot of stuff in that statement. Uh, but the chief priest took counsel that they might put Lazarus to death also. He just, Paul just read to us about a chief priest. <laughs> Peter would write that we're a royal priesthood. You and I, if you're a Christian, you're a royal priesthood. Do you know who the chief priest? The chief priest was supposed to be the guy that could go into the Holy of Holies once a year and sacrifice a lamb so that all of the people, all their sins, known and unknown, would be forgiven. Now, to, to be that guy, you probably ought to have something in your heart, in your mind, that understands sin, death, sacrifice, forgiveness, atonement, and salvation. And what do you got? You got people, somebody, and there's a huge bunch of history here in a play uh, because the way it's written, it's interesting. I'm not going to get into that this morning. Uh, it says chief priest, plural. There's only one chief priest, but there's so much corrupt stuff going on. And, and so they not only want to see Jesus dead, they want the resurrected man from the dead, Lazarus, to be put to death too. Let me tell you something. The older I get and the longer I'm in ministry, I see the reality of this. When you believe and see and you begin to understand life in the realm of spiritual warfare, you and I should be the absolute best. You and I should be the people that fully understands forgiveness, forgiveness, atonement, sacrifice for forgiveness, the love of God that it would take to accomplish that. And not just the sins of people who would say, yes, I'm guilty. But the role of the high priest was to, for the people that, even the unknown. We just would never do that. But one person was supposed to do that. And here's, the, and they do, and we see it in the church. Why do you think that, why do you think that Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus, the book of Revelation, Jesus' messages to the seven churches in Asia Minor. Why were those things written? Because the church that Christ would establish is a mess. The Corinthians were suing one another. They were using the Lord's Supper as a mockery. They, the Galatians were fighting over circumcision. The Ephesians weren't united. You could go on and on and on. The Thessalonians had misplaced worries. I mean, just bizarre. But it's not bizarre because 2,000 years later, we still, we, the church is still, it's a mess. Now, I will say this. I, the church is the easiest target in the world. The body of Christ, the church means you and I, not the building. It's the called out. It's the sanctified. It's the assembled And so 
just like those chief priests, we, should you and I or anybody you know who calls himself Christian, should you and I or anybody you know that calls himself Christian plot against anyone? Should we plot against a sinner? Should we plot against an enemy? I shouldn't have to answer that question, but it's living right here in the pages of Scripture. Now they say, why? He said, but the chief priests took counsel that they might put Lazarus to death also. Because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and were believing in Jesus. Can you imagine killing somebody for believing in Jesus? Wow. On the next day. Have you ever been on a vacation and something really great happened? You say, man, let me tell you, we went up to South Dakota and it was so great. I've never been to the Black Hills before. We were staying about four miles from Mount Rushmore. I have seen it. It's, I had seen it in pictures, but you just don't do it justice. And then, it, and then oh, it was so wonderful. And we went and got this night time. And then on the next day, oh, my, let me tell you what we did on the next day. Have you ever done that? That's what John's doing here. And he's doing it so that you might believe and believing have eternal life. On the next day, the great multitude had come to the feast. When they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took the branches of the palm trees and went out to meet him and began to cry out, Hosanna, blessed he is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. It's the fulfillment of Scripture. It is. It, you can go to the 118th Psalm, and you read this next verse, they took the branches of the palm trees and went out to meet him and began to cry out, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And, and Jesus, finding a young donkey, sat on it, and as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. Again, you can read about it. You can go to Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9. Hundreds of years before these things happened, a writer of Scripture said they were going to happen. And they did. These things his disciples did not understand at the first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written of him and that they had done these things to him. And so the multitude who were there with him who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead were bearing him witness. For this cause also the multitude went and met him because they heard that he had performed this sign. The Pharisees therefore said to one another, you see that you're not doing any good. Look, the world has gone after him. What a pitiful, terrible, ugly, broken picture. It just, it, it's if you know like we do the rest of the story, and you're reading that, are you just exhausted? Would you be exhausted if it happened to you? Would you be exhausted if you knew before you even drew your first breath that this moment was going to take place? And if you knew, and if you knew you had the power, authority, and sovereignty to stop this moment, would you have stopped it? 
I, I believe every one of us would say, if I knew, if it was imprinted into my brain, my heart, and my spirit on the day that I was born, that there'd be a time 33 years into my life, a moment after I had called a dead person out of the tomb, a, a, a moment, and in that moment where they're setting this great feast, this Passover that God's people had celebrated because they had seen the freeing power of God over a, an evil enemy in Egypt thousands of years prior. And in that moment, going to Jerusalem where the temple was, the holy city of God, and you've this dead person's with you. One of your disciples is plotting against you. He's a thief after being with you for three years. Then you go, and the fulfillment of Scripture, you see, it play out and the very people that said Hosanna 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 blessed is he who came in the name of the Lord Jesus or the name of the Lord and then they were there they saw Lazarus come out of the tomb within six days they're going to say crucify him would you do it would you sign up could you have enjoyed the celebration we all like to be celebrated we all like to have people praise us. But what if you knew that this whole deal is a mockery? And the most terrible of deaths is going to take place and it's going to be your death. And you could stop it. And you could call 10,000 angels. What would you do? Well, you know what he did. Let's see what he did. He just took one step, one step, one step, one step, one step. And as the day and the week and the hours and the moments went, he just walked to the cross in the middle of all the deception and the lying and the pettiness and the vanity. Part of the steps, very close to where they had done this celebration with the palm, he became so weak he couldn't carry the cross anymore. He stumbled under the pressure of the cross and the blood that had been flowing out of him because of the whips that had been on his back. And he just took a step and another step till he couldn't take a step anymore with the cross. Then he got up and he continued to walk without the cross to the cross. And then he laid himself on the cross with the very wood that he created because there's nothing that's been created, that there's no tree that's ever been grown that existed without the will of God and the hand of Christ. He laid himself on the tree. And the Bible says, cursed is everybody who hangs on a tree. He became a curse. And they nailed him to a cross. And he was buried. And we call it Holy Week. What makes it holy? Your ability to worship God, my ability to worship God. The goodness that's in me that, oh, how I love Jesus. No. 
what makes it holy is the holy Son of God in the midst of all the false worship, mockery, deceit, conspiracies. Took one holy step after another to the cross, to the tomb. Next week, we talk about the other side of the burial. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are so grateful. I am grateful that your son could even get up in the morning knowing what he was going to face, could even open his eyes and watch the sunset knowing that One day and another day and another day and another day would come and that he would be mocked by men that would praise him with their lips one day and curse him the next. And they would drive these terrible, 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 terrible nails into his flesh. As I talk, Father, I speak to you and we love you. Help us to fully understand what this holy week really is about. Father, we love you and we need you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.